0: This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and ten percent off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code LEFT8. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Dan Savage, The Majority Report, The Rachel Maddow Show, The Gay Dad Project, Citizen Radio, The Unfuck It Up Project, and The Young Turks. And a note for those faint of heart: the second act of this episode contains a reference to right wingers having been correct. So be prepared.
1: What basically went down for anybody out there who hasn't been paying attention for the last 20 years was in 1996, around about the time that gay marriage advocates began to see some success in states, in Hawaii and Massachusetts, uh, Vermont, some court decisions, some Supreme Court decisions in the states, uh, affirming that same-sex couples are entitled to equality under the law and should be entitled to marry just as Opposite-sex couples are entitled to marry and should be afforded the same rights and responsibilities and protections of marriage. At that time, when we began to see some progress on marriage rights for same-sex couples, Congress passed the Defense of Marriage Act in 1996, signed by then-President Bill Clinton, that really did something unprecedented, that the federal government had never done before, instituted a kind of federal definition of marriage, and the Defense of Marriage Act to a couple of things it told states that they didn't have to recognize marriages performed in other states for same-sex couples even if they were legal which has never been the case uh in some states it's illegal for first cousins to marry. In other states, it is legal for first cousins to marry. If first cousins marry in a first cousin marriage equality state and they move to a first cousin marriage discrimination state, their marriage is still legally valid. That One state will recognize the the marriages of another state. It's a full faith and credit clause of the Constitution requires that, that states recognize and honor each other's contracts, compacts, marriages so that there isn't chaos. Uh, But DOMA said that states could have a carve-out on that. It also did something else that was really unprecedented. It said that the federal government would not recognize legal marriages performed in the states if the couple that married was a same-sex couple. The federal government had never done that before ever. The federal government had left marriage to the states. If the states allowed first cousins to marry, the federal government recognized that marriage. If they didn't allow it, the federal government didn't interfere. This was an unprecedented and unconstitutional carve-out. People believe for a very long time that if it ever got to the Supreme Court that they would have to recognize that this was indeed unconstitutional, the Defense of Marriage Act, the Section 3, where the federal government refused to recognize them. And that is what got scrapped. The Defense of Marriage Act in its entirety is not scrapped. Section 2, which allows states to discriminate, to refuse to recognize marriages performed in other states for same-sex couples, that's still in force. There will be more lawsuits. The fight continues. But what it means now, this DOMA decision, what it means now is that in the 13 states where same-sex couples can legally marry, including now California because of the Prop 8 decision that came down the same day as the Supreme Court decision on DOMA, that those marriages performed in those states will be recognized by the federal government. And props, mad props, as the kids were saying 20 years ago, to the Obama administration, which has stated now that your federal rights will move with you, that if you marry in California and you live in Nevada, your federal rights will still be in force. That was up in the air. So tremendous progress, and I was blown away. Where was I? And personally, how did I react? A lot of people have been calling and asking me for my personal reaction. (sighs) I was in my kitchen at my computer refreshing my Twitter feed, maniacally on that wednesday morning waiting for the decision to come through the last day what a bunch of fucking theater fags run the supreme court they kept pushing the one decision the whole country was on edge waiting for kept pushing it back pushing it back to the very last day and so we're there seven in the morning in seattle refresh 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 terry's upstairs in bed asleep Our, our son is downstairs in his room asleep And the decision comes through and DOMA is scrapped. Section three of DOMA declared unconstitutional. And Terry and I suddenly went just in a year from being married only in Canada, boyfriends in America, to being married in Canada and married in Washington state where we won marriage equality at the ballot box last year to suddenly as of 10 a.m. last Wednesday morning, married in the eyes of the federal government because section three is dead. We are legally married at every level. And, When people talk about marriage rights, uh, and a lot of the sort of first flush sort of conflicts and screaming and yelling have been about florists and bakers. I could give a flying fuck about florists and bakers. But we keep sort of talking about banquet halls and wedding ceremonies and who's going to make the goddamn cake. And there have been bakeries that have discriminated against same-sex couples and literally anti-marriage – activists bigoted anti-gay marriage activists they were worried in the wake of the decision about florists being coerced into selling their fucking flowers to same-sex couples which is a whole fucking other issue and it's a misnomer and it's bullshit it's a smokescreen it's a distraction Florists are required to sell their fucking flowers to same-sex couples, not because marriage is legal, but because in many states, particularly states that also have marriage equality, it is illegal to discriminate against someone in the provision of goods and services based on their sexual orientation. It was illegal in Washington state to refuse to sell fucking flowers to a couple of faggots before marriage was legalized, and it is just as illegal now that marriage is legalized. So whatever, they're worried about florists being coerced, and a lot of gay people are talking about florists and bakeries and... But the truth is, as John Corvino points out in his book, Debating Same-Sex Marriage, which he wrote with Maggie Gallagher, is that the the really important incidents of marriage, the really important rights, they kick in at the worst times of your life, not the wedding party, not the cake and flowers moment. The really important incidents of marriage tend to kick in in hospital wards, uh, in funeral homes, uh, after the death of a spouse. And so being the morbid motherfucker that I am, uh, what the scrapping of DOMA meant for me personally, the change it's going to make for me, for, for Terry, for, for our family, how he, in the nitty-gritty, in the detail, this is what came up for me on Wednesday at 10 a.m. For 15 years, ever since Terry and I became parents, ever since uh, Terry then decided about a year later, or we decided together that he would be the stay-at-home parent, for 15 years, every time I got on an airplane, Every time I spoke before a crowd, every time I rode my bike through Seattle, which is a dangerous place to ride a bike, I would think about the plane crashing. I would think about one of the many motherfuckers who were constantly sending me death threats showing up at an event where I was giving a talk and blowing my brains out. I would think about being hit by a bus and killed on my bike. And... You know, I'm from a morbid family. We have this problem. We call it worst case scenario disorder where whatever is happening in your life, you have to sort of game out and think about and obsess about how terribly wrong everything could go. And this kind of inoculates you somehow against those potential negative consequences. If you just obsess about it, it won't happen. It's a crazy way to live. But for 15 years, ever since Terry became a stay-at-home parent, I not only had to think about planes crashing, I also had to think about what would happen to Terry and my son, to our son, DJ, after I died. Because... Terry isn't a woman because we are a same-sex couple, because I'm not a woman, he's not a man, he's not a woman, I'm not a man. He wasn't entitled to collect my Social Security survivor benefits should I die. Uh, He would face a crushing tax bill if I died. If he was my wife, he would inherit my property without having to pay taxes. But because he's my husband, he can't. It wasn't just that I would die and Terry would lose his husband and DJ would lose one of his parents, but they would also be impoverished and punished. They would lose the house. They would lose their financial security because I was dead and because we were not married in the eyes of the federal government. And we were told that this was not something the federal government could do, couldn't recognize our marriage, because somehow that would weaken straight marriages. Heterosexual families are only strong because gay families are weak. Only by punishing us, impoverishing us, impoverishing Terry and DJ can Rick Santorum's family thrive. I don't know how that works. I don't know what the alchemy there is that persecuting the a widow, a gay widow or widower, persecuting that person somehow strengthens straight marriage. Like straight marriages are vampires that have to suck the blood of pain out of same-sex couples at the worst moments of their lives to for their own vitality and strength. It's bullshit and it's insulting. It's insulting to straight people, but it's really insulting to gay people. And so what happened for me personally on that Wednesday morning when that decision came down was I felt this weight suddenly be lifted from my shoulders that I had been carrying around for so long that I'd almost forgotten what it was like to walk around without that weight on me. But I went upstairs and I crawled into bed with Terry and I told him what had happened. And at that moment, as morbid as it sounds, I thought, oh, I can die now. That if the plane crashes, the as the plane crashes, I won't be thinking, fuck, not only am I going to die, but Terry and DJ are now really going to be punished terry's going to be punished for having married me dj will be punished for the crime of having gay parents unfairly punished viciously punished i don't have to worry about that anymore that has been lifted from me i don't want anything bad to happen please don't kill me if you're one of the many people out there who sends me death threats please don't kill me that's what i'm saying But now, now I can die and just be sad about the fact that the planet I'm on is crashing and not also be sad about what is going to be done to my husband and child in the wake of my death. And for that, I am so grateful. To to Evan Wolfson, who's going to be a guest later on the program today, who is the godfather of the marriage equality movement, to Edie Windsor, who is the kick-ass lesbian widow who brought the suit that toppled DOMA. She was hit with a $360,000 tax bill upon the death of her spouse, Thea, that she didn't would not have had to pay. Little old lady robbed of all that money she wouldn't have had to pay, money that she could have lived on in her old age, taken from her because she loved the wrong person in the eyes of the federal government. And Edie Windsor, thank you. Thank you for kicking the federal government's ass. Thank you for tearing down DOMA. Because in that moment you made my family more secure. So it was a good day last Wednesday. A good day that came after a bad day. The day before the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act. We need to get in the fight on that. North Carolina, Texas, Ohio, we've seen draconian, vicious, brutal, misogynistic, anti-choice legislation fly through those state legislatures signed by their governors, Kasich in Ohio. Appalling. We're going to talk about it later in the show. Appalling. We have to stay in the fight. There are other fights And the marriage fight isn't over yet. Marriage equality has been won for same-sex couples lucky enough to live in the 13 states where same-sex couples can marry. There are 37 states right now where same-sex couples cannot. The fight ain't over for marriage equality and the fight ain't over for reproductive freedom and the fight ain't over – How is this even possible? How can I be saying this in 2013? The fight isn't over to protect the voting rights of African-Americans and other minority groups. Ah, fucking Pauling. The same Supreme Court. Ah, fucking Pauling. We are going to fight for all those things, but we can take a moment to celebrate the victory that last Wednesday represented for justice for same-sex couples. Hard-won, long-fought victory. I was elated. I hope all of you were elated and I hope all of you are committed to staying in the fight on all fronts.
2: In Ohio, more good news, federal judge ordered state officials on Monday to recognize the marriage of two men that was performed in Maryland and to recognize it on the death certificate of an Ohio resident in hospice care who the judge says is certain to die soon. quoting uh from the judge's uh ruling the end result here and now is that the local Ohio registrar of death certificates is hereby ordered not to accept for recording a death certificate for John Arthur that does not record Mr. Arthur's status at death as married and James Obergefell as his surviving spouse so this couple got married in maryland ohio passed a two thousand four constitutional amendment banning the recognition of same-sex couple marriages <coughs> and ohio statute addressing uh, addressed the same issue the judge said both of those likely violate the united states constitution the judge also wrote although the law has long recognized that marriage and domestic relations are matters generally left to the states the restrictions imposed on marriage by the states however must nonetheless comply with the u.s. constitution and a combination of the supreme court striking down doma in uh, united states versus windsor Windsor, and the ninety six decision Romer v. Evans uh, basically provided the grounding for this judge to find that not treating this couple as married would not pass, uh, pass federal constitutional muster. So, this is the beginning. Those right wingers who are concerned that once DOMA was struck down, it would lead to marriage equality across the country. There would be no safe havens for bigots and homophobes were correct. And I'm happy to say that in this one narrow instance, they were right. And they will be proven right. It may take a little more time, but then most of those bigots and homophobes will be long gone by then anyways. It's the one thing about progress Time is on its side.
3: As if it's a disease,
0: treated like a leper. Why the fuck you think I stayed so long in the dresser? Wanna love life? I do really bad. But life's a bitch, and I'm a fucking fag. Nothing fabulous about being typecast is fabulous or hearing your honest way of life used as a diss. You can hate me, but I won't hate you. This isn't gay rap. Two gay chefs make gay food. Now throw your hands in the air if you won't hold hands,
2: because people will stare. And wave on side to side if you don't feel proud when you hear the word
4: pride. A man named Joseph Brusky the other day uh, tweeted us this picture from the Overpass Light Brigade in Wisconsin. The Overpass Light Brigaders spelling out unlearned racism in the night on the overpass. We put that picture that he sent us up on our blog. Uh, This one too, a a protest, look at this, a protest license plate from Virginia. Uh, The submission of which to our blog, I will forever be thankful to the Delanos of Williamsburg. Uh, They put Virginia with a Y, actual license plate, on their actual car in protest of Governor Ultrasound's policies affecting the lady people of Virginia. And they sent us the photo to prove it. The point is that um, all of you guys who watch the show occasionally send us great stuff and we actually read our mail and we are really thankful for it. Uh, a few weeks ago in our inbox we found a letter and some pictures from California. This is from Rich Weaver in Southern California. This is what he said. My husband was out of town when the Supreme Court decisions were handed out last Wednesday. He returned on Saturday and we went out to dinner. We finally came out to the people in our community without fear of reprisal for the first time. We were surprised by the owners of the restaurant with a celebratory ice cream sundae. We have been together for 17 years. We were married in Ventura County, California on October 27th, 2008. And that, of course, means that they got their marriage done right before Prop 8 passed a few days later. And Prop 8, of course, banned their marriage. For years, until this Supreme Court ruling, which led to the celebratory dinner, which led to their coming out in their hometown, which led to the celebratory surprise ice cream Sunday from the nice folks who ran that restaurant where they were having their coming out dinner. The letter continues. We celebrate our marriage, our equal marriage, not just some second-class, same-sex marriage, some lame, skim-milk marriage. This is Rich Weaver here, who wrote us the letter. Uh, this is his husband, Michael Reagan. Um, Mr. Weaver writes, quote, we have found support even in this heart of Republican Ronald Reagan country. We look forward to these changes in the rest of the country. And then he signs it in the name of fairness, love and family. Rich Weaver, uh, Ventura County, California. That is part of life in California now in a fairly conservative red state part of California. You could say that couples like them were the luckiest in the country last month. And the Supreme Court ruled that not only could gay couples get married in California again, but this time it would count at the federal level too. Right? So that means no more skim milk marriages. Right, In California and the other states that have marriage equality, it's not skim milk anymore, it is whole milk, ice cream Sunday, real marriages now. Congratulations on the Prop 8 case. So so that's California, and another dozen or so states where there is marriage equality. But what about everybody else? What about people in places where the whole state is spread, right? Where nothing's going to change anytime soon, where the bans in those states on marriage equality are really popular? Like what, for example, happens in Mississippi?
5: LGBT folks live literally in every town across the South. And the solution to the discrimination we face is not for us to move. I don't know about y'all, but I guess all the time, why don't you just move to New York or Iowa or Washington State? Because it's cold. I don't want to live back <laughs> What happens when real people say,
4: enough? I'm not leaving, but I am standing up. What happens when real people stand up? That video um, comes from the Campaign for Southern Equality, which has spent the last month asking that question in bright red Mississippi. Kristen Welch and Jenna Lockwood went to their local county clerk's office in Poplarville, Mississippi. Population not nearly 3,000. Ms. Lockwood is in the Air Force Reserve. Ms. Lockwood thanked the clerk, who turned them down for their marriage license. She and Ms. Welch can be married in the eyes of the U.S. military, but not in the eyes of the state of Mississippi. Still, they tried. A few days later, activists tried again in Mississippi, this time in the capital city of Jackson. They got told no again, and then look what happened. Reporter Dustin Barnes of the Clarion-Ledger newspaper tweeted that after the couple was denied their license, quote, sounds of laughter could be heard in the clerk's office. And if you just look at the couple and you, you consider that they are two men asking for a marriage license in Mississippi, where every single county in the state supported the ban on their marriage, right, when it was last voted on, you might think that laughter would have been directed at them, right, people laughing at them for even trying. But that does not appear to be what happened. The clerk in Jackson said in response, absolutely not. She said she was there and she is sure that no one in that office was laughing at that couple or at any of the gay couples in the clerk's office that day. She said that one of, one of the men asking for a marriage license started crying. Upon being turned down, staff in the clerk's office cried along with him too. So that is one thing that happens when real people stand up, other people surprise you by caring about what you are doing, and they make sure the world knows they are not laughing. By asking for a right that they cannot have in Mississippi, these couples are changing, in some way, every clerk's office that they walk into. They are making themselves known to their neighbors and to their state as Mississippians. They are making this all as clear and as heartrending as could possibly be. And while we are talking about settings you might think are unlikely for this sort of thing, consider also the great state of Arkansas. In Arkansas, they have not one but two red state gay rights campaigns thinking about asking voters directly for same-sex marriage rights. In Arkansas, after the Supreme Court ruling last month in Windsor, where the court said the federal government could not single out gay couples for stigma and disadvantage, after that ruling, two Arkansas couples went to their clerk's office in Little Rock, Arkansas, and they asked for a marriage license, and they made sure they got, cu- they got turned down. Uh, Rita Jernigan. She is the taller one here. She retired from the Little Rock schools after teaching math for almost 30 years. She's facing the very concrete nuts and bolts reality that because she lives in Arkansas and because Arkansas's laws are what they are, she cannot leave her retirement pay to her partner, Pam Jernigan. We talked to Pam Jernigan today. She told us that in the clerk's office that day when they went in to apply for their marriage license, she said the clerk's office let them fill out the form. She said they couldn't have been any nicer. She said people in the department cheered them on even as they turn them down. This month in Ohio, which is another state that bans gay couples from marrying, two Ohio men left their home state of Ohio and went to get married in Maryland. And they were in a hurry because one of the men is dying. Uh, John Arthur is suffering from a terminal illness. He has Lou Gehrig's disease. He and his partner Jim made their trip to the altar in a plane that had to be outfitted specially to take care of Mr. Arthur because he was so ill. They flew from Cincinnati, where they live, to the airport in Anne Arundel County, Maryland. And once they were on the ground in Maryland, where it was legal, they got married in the plane. Then they flew home, and back home they asked the federal court to recognize their marriage, despite the Ohio state ban against marriage equality. And the amazing thing is that the court said yes. The federal court ordered the state of Ohio to recognize John and Jim's marriage from Maryland the same as the state would recognize any other Ohio couple's marriage if they had got married in any other state. The judge cited the DOMA decision for the reasoning in the case saying, quote, this is not a complicated case. Throughout Ohio's history, Ohio law has been clear. A A marriage solemnized outside of Ohio is valid in Ohio if it is valid where it was solemnized. How then can Ohio single out same-sex marriages as ones it will not recognize? The short answer is Ohio cannot. This one is really very simple. The two men asked, the court said yes because of the Supreme Court decision last month. You have the right to be considered married in Ohio and Ohio no longer has the right to divorce you at the border. We are living right now through a sea change moment that is not one big sea change all happening at once. It's it's made up of lots of teeny tiny little drops that are making this change happen in the whole country based on a lot of very tiny points of pressure. All these pioneers in all these places across the country, people you never heard of, people doing what they can with their own regular people lives, changing the places where they live. And sometimes it is public officials who are doing it too, in ways large and small. This week in Montgomery County, northwest of Philadelphia in Pennsylvania, the elected official in charge of marriage licenses in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, announced that he had decided that no matter the state law in Pennsylvania, he believed that he was right to start giving marriage licenses to gay couples. A same-sex couple had said they intended to apply in Montgomery County, and he said he would grant their wish. Now... To be clear, this particular official, this register of wills in that one Pennsylvania county, is just one elected official doing what he believes is the legally correct thing to do for his job. He is just one guy. But so was the mayor of San Francisco and Gavin Newsom when he threw open the doors of City Hall in San Francisco in February 2004. Thousands of people got married in the span of a month, although the state technically did not allow that. That same month back in 2004, it was little New Paltz, New York. Remember the young mayor there, Jason West, who announced that his city too would start offering marriage licenses to same-sex couples, not because it was state law, which it wasn't, but because he thought it was right. Well, today it happened in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. This was the first couple in line, two women with a couple of kids who have been together for 17 years, and they said they never intended to be first, but they got their license. They got married, and then they left on a nice vacation. Bruce Haynes the register of wills in Montgomery County told reporters today that he did not know what to expect He didn't know what would happen after he announced his intentions yesterday. Mr. Haynes said quote I was driving into work this morning, and I thought we could have a line around the block or maybe nobody would show up at all We can tell you tonight that mr. Haynes issued five marriage licenses to same-sex couples today in Pennsylvania And he made a great lot of history in doing so
0: Squarespace.com is a platform used to build professional-looking websites so easily that anyone can do it, but the amazing thing about Squarespace is it's not just an easy and powerful way to make a website, but they take care of all the little behind-the-scenes hassles, too. Here's a list of things that give me heartburn to even think about. Managing the hosting server of my website, navigating that horrible website where my domain names are still registered even though I should have moved them years ago setting up search engine optimization for the site, and dealing with anything that ever goes wrong because I either have to develop an ulcer figuring it out for myself or beg friends who know what they're doing to do it for me. As you might have guessed, Squarespace can handle all of this stuff for you. They take care of hosting, SEO, you get a free domain name if you sign up with them for a year, and they have a support staff waiting to help you 24-7. All this starts at 8 bucks a month, so no matter what you need a site for, a professional website is now within your grasp. Try out a free trial just to see how you like it. You don't even need a credit card. Then when you do sign up, you can use the special offer code LEFT8, that's L-E-F-T and the number 8, to get 10% off their service and to let them know that you're supporting this show. So again, the offer code is LEFT8 to get 10% off when you create your own space at Squarespace.com. I struggled a lot with
6: wondering what that meant to have a gay dad, like what, what did that mean for me? Did that make me different? Um, was there something wrong with me?
2: I was sincere
7: about wanting to have a family. I was sincere about wanting to make a marriage succeed. And I thought that maybe being married to a woman would change what was gay about me and that I'd become heterosexual. I know now that that isn't the way it happens. It just doesn't work that way.
6: The Gay Dad Project is a project um, to help families and to help people where a parent comes out. And it's a place for discussion and it's a place for understanding.
5: My name is Erin and when I was 15 years old, my dad sat us down for a family meeting and told us he and my mom were getting divorced because he was gay. And I fell apart and started crying and just couldn't even believe what was happening.
7: Couldn't do it another day. It was as if I couldn't breathe, as if I was being suffocated.
5: My younger brother, Kevin, took off on his bike and rode rode down the street, told everybody, oh, my dad's gay, like it was the next best
7: thing. Unfortunately, by this time, it's not just about me anymore. We're a family, we rely on one another, and I am about to turn their world upside down. And it was just like one day at a time, you just keep doing the same thing, you just keep trying to make it work and hope that you're, you're getting through the next week, through the next month, getting through this year. I told my wife, I said, let's just tell the kids we're getting divorced. Let's just tell them we can't get along. And then later on, we'll deal with the rest. Divorce is gonna be hard enough for them. Let's not do it all at once. And she said, no, you're wrong. She said, the most important thing now is the truth. And it's not easy, but we have to tell them the truth and we have to do it now. And she was right.
6: We started the Gay Dad Project to reach out to other families um, where a parent comes out and to reach out and connect with them and let them know that there's other families like theirs and uh, that they're not alone and that we're here for them if they need us, if we can help.
5: The main thing I would want others in my situation to know is you're not alone. and There are many many of us out there and some of us are quiet and some of us are just waiting to be found. Some of us are waiting for that other one to just reach out or to read a story or to hear something on TV and they think they're all alone, but really they're not. And um, people are quiet for different reasons. Um, But I, I can't be quiet. I have to tell my story. I have to share it because I hope that in sharing it and through sharing it i can help other people somehow
6: yeah having a gay dad's been really challenging and i don't i don't know if i even have words for it sometimes i think i'm just starting to understand or find words to express that and i think that's part of the gay dad project
7: there is not just hope and light on the other side of the tunnel, there is a real life, a really wonderful life of truth and integrity. And while it may not be happy every day and easy every moment, it's where we all have to get to, truth and authenticity.
5: My dad dropped the bomb on me 21 years ago and so if the bomb just dropped on you, I guess I would say,
6: hold on, if you're a kid and you've just had a parent come out, or if you're a parent that needs to come out, or a parent that's thinking about coming out, um, we're here for you. Uh, we will help you. We'd love to help you find resources and help you kind of navigate these this difficult time. It's a it's a transition for everybody in the family when a parent comes out, and so we want to be able to help.
7: Connect with the people in the Gay Dad Project for somebody to talk to, somebody to share your story with. Just realize that you aren't alone, that there are other people that are going through the same thing that you are. You don't have to suffer by yourself, you don't have to do something drastic. Looking back on it though, it's sort of like um, going to the doctor and they have to set a bone and you know it's going to hurt and you have to grit your teeth and get through it because healing is on the other side.
5: Love comes in so many forms and you don't necessarily have to assign a gender or a label or anything like that. You just fall in love with who you fall in love with.
6: We're still father and daughter, and I think we still have um, our challenges, but that makes us human, and maybe that makes us normal.
2: The Olympics, the Winter Olympics 2014, um, scheduled to be in Russia, uh, in Sochi, and there is a movement afoot to get the IOC, the governing body of the Olympics, to essentially cancel the Olympics in 2014 and move it to 2015 and have them in Vancouver. Part of this um, this movement has been stoked by the IOC, basically threatening. Um, I don't know threatened is the right word, but yes, I think threatening uh, gay athletes. Um, that any athlete who speaks out, and not just gay athletes, any athlete who speaks out against the discriminatory laws in Russia. May also be disciplined by the IOC committee. This is a report from Gay Star News. Um, they were asked what it was planning to do to ensure that LGBT individuals can have a visible, proud, safe presence at the games. But was told the Winter Games are no place for political statements. The Olympic uh, own, uh, own charter describes such things as propaganda. Which, of course, is the same word uh, being used by the Russians in their new anti-gay law. Under Rule 50 of the IOC Charter, no kind of demonstration of political, religious, or racial propaganda is permitted in any Olympic sites, venues, or other areas. Um, the the one of the questions and the pushback that I have seen. And um, I, I saw an interview with Stephen Cohen, who is a uh, longtime Russian expert on uh, Charlie Rose last night, and uh, he said one of the dangers of having a. And I don't know that he was speaking about protests that emanate from the international uh, for, uh, internationally but one of the things he said that is uh... that is tricky in this situation is nationalism and nativism in russia is a fast-growing dangerous movement and it would make it rather easy to play into those nationalist sentiments if these protests were seen as coming from the west As opposed to, I guess, sort of a, a, a broader human rights uh question. In other words, this can easily be manipulated to create a worse situation uh in Russia. I mean, this is the same dynamic that we've seen play out uh in Iran, we see it in Cuba, frankly, we saw it in this country uh during the Iraq War. Whenever you have a leadership that is struggling in the polls uh, nationalism is the big go-to and the boogeyman outside of your country that poses some type of threat to you existentially or in terms of your sovereignty is always a very convenient vehicle to strengthen your hand domestically uh, with that said there's also a protest in this country that Dan savage has um, started uh Dan savage is the uh, author and columnist and I think radio host um, podcast um, he started a boycott of Russian vodka and uh, it has been called in some quarters uh the um the Stoli boycott there was some question as to whether or not Stoli uh Stolichnaya vodka was actually a russian vodka uh according to interviews that they've given uh, a year or two ago uh the they claim that the vodka comes from russia they just bottle it in latvia now that said the uh Stoli ceo is uh has been a strong proponent of gay rights and has come out and said so uh yet an interesting piece in the Atlantic saying the Russian vodka boycott is working, whether you like it or not. And the measure in which that Russian vad- uh, bo- uh, vodka boycott is working is that it has raised public awareness, at least if you use Google searches as a gauge to what's going on in Russia. And certainly, uh, you know, it's it was one of the things that. Um, first called my attention to these laws in russia I certainly wasn't aware of them uh... when they were passed i guess earlier in the summer in the spring or being uh, debated in uh... early uh... early spring late winter so that's the situation there i mean i was hoping to speak to a uh... a russian expert to get a real notion of the dynamics of the politics in in russia as to the efficacy of of these different approaches uh but there has been a strong push um, to get the olympics moved and uh so uh you know we will update that as it, as it
3: goes. There's also uh, this story that that came out uh today where uh, Andy Cohen who's a uh, he's like a Bravo late night host.
2: Yes, I should say that Andy Cohen got his first TV appearance on my show pilot season. Oh, really? Yes, when he was a Bravo executive, I put him in the last scene uh, all the Bravo executives were in the last scene of pilot season. Thanks, Sam. So I've uh, I've worked with Andy, and uh, yes, I did see this story. But go ahead. Okay. Well, he is usually a co-host for uh, Miss Universe,
3: and this year uh, Miss Universe will be taking place in Russia, and he said he has turned down the co-hosting gig because he doesn't feel safe over there as a gay man.
2: Yes, apparently Andy Cohen is gay. Uh, I didn't. Know, if you're familiar with his work, uh, that may not be uh, may not been unclear to you, but. <laughs> I, uh, I just wanted to make sure for people who don't know who Andy Cline right. is. Right, yes. And uh, so, you know, good for him. Um, uh, you know, good it's for obviously him a political and
0: system. with these laws, that's also, like, a very valid concern.
3: Sometimes in my tears I drown, but I never let it get me down. So when negativity surrounds, I know. I think well-intentioned people have talked about canceling the Olympics in Russia because there have literally just been, like, LGBT people beaten in the streets. Like, it's just terrible what's happening yeah. in Russia. And I think especially for a lot of... And a lot of gay people I've seen say this as well. But I I, I think, should also
8: say beaten and in some cases killed. Yeah. yeah.
3: And I think um, a lot of well-intentioned straight cis people at first are like yes obviously like why would you want to support why would you want to have the olympic games um in a country that is you know beating gay people to death and that's what i thought at first for sure and i hate when people say and i've seen athletes i hate how the first thing they say is like for the athletes because like i don't know man if I was an athlete and I know like Olympic athletes get shit on and they don't make a lot of money and they train so hard like their entire life to make it but I'm also like if somebody actually told me a boycott would work I would like to think I just don't like seeing like these at like when I when I tweet gay people are being beaten to death and someone writes back these athletes train for 4 years I just want to like write back gay people are being beaten to death like sp- sports versus I, I don't think that's good. Um, I saw a female athlete, which really depressed me on Chris Hayes, say uh, something like, there's no room for politics in sports. And I'm like, motherfucker, if there was, it wasn't for Title Nine, you wouldn't be on TV right now.
8: You know what I always think of, though? I, I think of if the, the black athletes who eventually did the Black Power sign mm-hmm. on the, in that really iconic photo, if they had boycotted... We wouldn't have ever seen that.
3: And that's what a lot of people are saying. So a couple things. I mean, number one, w- w- what I didn't think about is – remember when we covered the last Olympics and we talked about how in, like in London, uh, it's just these giant sponsors that end up profiting from it. It's not actually the cities. A lot of times the local businesses get fucked. Um, and these jobs that the Olympics supposedly create are – they end up being temporary right. anyway. So it's like – it's not even like Russia – like the Russian people are really going to profit from this. But here's the biggest thing about being a good ally is you have to listen. And someone tweeted me that essentially we're just sort of projecting our Western ideas onto Russia where it's like it's not up to us. If the Russian queer community says to boycott, then we should
8: boycott. Well, actually a lot of – there was someone on – all in with Chris last night. And I can't remember her name, but she had she's um, a journalist who reports on Russia, and she had really interesting insight where she was saying. So the fascist elements in Russia believe that homosexuality is a Western import. They literally believe that gayness would not exist without Western culture's influence. So what that means is if there's a boycott of the Olympics, they will see that as further meddling by the West. It's not suddenly going to bring enlightenment to Russia. If anything, it's going to create more hostility towards homosexuality, which they see as an extension of the West. So a lot of LGBT people within Russia are saying, a boycott would hurt more than it would help because it would just exacerbate that tension.
3: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, obviously like there are also like gay athletes and 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 that's someone who I would empathize with. And
8: for. it was also like really scary to hear like Johnny Weir being interviewed and people asking him like are you afraid to wear flamboyant costumes when you're like walking from like your car to the stadium, you know? Right. And like that would be really scary if you were an LGBT athlete, you know? And
3: uh, somebody else on Twitter brought up to me uh, the fact that by having it there, I mean, number one, who knows the repercussions, right? Like, they're already mad at gay people. If suddenly... The Olympics aren't there. That's what I was saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And people think they're going to like lose money or like their cities aren't going to make as much money. Like they're just going to be even more. Well, that's
8: why a lot of queer activists are like, we know you guys think you're helping. Right. But actually, if you don't come at all, it's going to make things like a thousand times worse. It's like you're like abandoning us. Yeah.
3: And I mean, I'm, and I know you were saying that with politicians, but I just mean like people, like maybe people who didn't care about the gay thing are suddenly going to be like, uh, you know, like, oh now these gay people are fucking us over. You know what I mean? I know
8: with everyone room- I didn't say. Oh, gotcha, gotcha.
3: Yeah. Um and then the the last thing I wanted to say is and a bunch of you guys tweeted some version of this. What I would like to see is every fucking athlete, gay or not. I want to see like pride flags on the podium.
8: That would be really nice. I think that is the most powerful and the most helpful. Can you imagine... Being, Have it there and show solidarity. Can, being an LGBT person in Russia, perhaps too afraid to actually be, you know, out and proud and be an activist because you've seen all of these terrible things happening and then you're watching the Olympics and, yeah, somebody, like, pulls out the gay pride flag. Like, that would on be your an turf. incredibly powerful moment and it would really instill hope in, in, you know, activists in Russia.
3: Yeah, and so, you know... uh, But a lot of
8: athletes are really hesitant to be political. Even, like, you know, they're very much aware that they could get in trouble. It takes an enormous amount of bravery to be political if you're an athlete in the Olympics. Yeah,
3: and I mean, but some of our best... You can
8: lose, like, sponsorships if you do that. Oh, I know.
3: I mean, Muhammad Ali. Like, I mean, some of the best... Some of of our biggest heroes in sports now uh, have been because of political statements.
8: Well, it would also be really... um... Helpful is, unfortunately, a lot of the times the United States media doesn't become interested in cultural stories until the Olympics is being held. So a lot of outlets that have thus far not been covering the LGBT uh, oppression in Russia, it's more likely that story will get coverage now. And it will get coverage on an international level. So that is good, you know, if if I'm really fishing for a silver lining here. Yeah,
3: and you know, seriously, I mean, a lot of people wrote that to me, where they're like, focus, keep attention on them. Yeah. This will keep attention on them. Shame
8: them. them. Shame them and shame them until Putin literally has no other option than to be like, okay, we have to reverse policy on this. Yeah,
3: exactly. I mean, we've seen what happens when you try to, like, tough guy down to, you know, people like Putin or people like America, like us. Well, it Uh, can't just
8: be the West. It can't just be the West telling Putin to do it, because Putin, like is like fuck off to everything we yeah. want him to do no, you know so but if it's an international sort of pressure and he feels like he's a man without a country then eventually hopefully
3: I mean it could actually be really big you know yeah. so those are my thoughts slash the LGBT people uh, who are tweeting me thank you thank you for that I definitely wanted your take before I tried to you know yeah. hero it I can
6: be- I can
0: Hi everyone, today in lieu of asking you to support this show, I want to ask you to support my fundraising effort for this year's climate ride. This will be my second year in a row raising money for 350.org, the best climate organization I know of with a massive international reach, and the Chesapeake Climate Action Network, the best local climate organization which works in Maryland, DC, and Virginia, and also happens to be the place where I used to work, so I know personally how much they deserve the support. In exchange for you helping me reach my goal of $2,400 raised, I will be riding my bike the 300 miles between New York City and Washington, D.C. over the course of five days in September. To contribute, simply visit climateride.org and search for my name, Jay, and you'll see the full name, Jay Tomlinson, pop right up. Click the name to see my fundraising page and make a tax-deductible donation. I've already contributed to get the ball rolling. Thanks in advance for your support. I will stay- Today's activism segment comes to you, as always, in partnership with the Unfuck It Up Project, where creator Katie Goodman and director Katie Klubusik encourage involvement over apathy by highlighting people and organizations that are doing good for their communities and the world. Today's campaign, fighting Russia's LGBT criminalization. It's illegal to be queer in Russia. Full stop. You cannot publicly be lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgendered, nor can you be an open ally to the LGBT community. The Putin regime's laws have brought to the surface a struggle spanning generations that brave, tireless activists in Russia have been fighting, largely without international attention. With the 2014 Winter Olympics about to descend on Sochi, the bigotry of the Russian government is suddenly news around the world. Debate is raging over the best course of action to support the hardworking athletes from all countries and all walks of life without implicitly supporting the host country's ban on everything from rainbow colored nail polish, no kidding, to holding hands with your same sex partners in the stands. The Advocate's op-ed, Who Can Force Russia to Change Its Ways?, by Michelle Garcia, asks the question, quote, LGBT athletes will soon compete for their shot at the Olympic squad, but they still aren't sure whether they will be safe in Sochi. Can anything be done? Calls to boycott everything from the games themselves, to sponsors of the games, to iconic Russian exports are prompting heated debate in the media, online, and throughout activist circles. LGBT activist, writer, and Best of the Left clip contributor Dan Savage is backing the Dump Russian Vodka campaign, which has some support from queer advocacy groups in Russia, as well as a number of organizations in the US. The goal is not to punish Stolichnaya necessarily, but to fuel the discussion. There are LGBT activists in Russia who are asking spectators to not come to the games. Others say the International Olympic Committee, whose stance is for people to not be, quote, openly gay at the games, should move the games, no matter the expense. Some advocates fear that boycotting could make things worse for the queer community, while Savage points out that beatings, arrests, discrimination, and legal attacks could hardly get worse. So our call to action is simply this. Talk about what's happening. It's something every one of you can do. For many, issues that don't directly affect them can be uncomfortable, and being an ally can be awkward. If you're not familiar with the Russian queer community, and chances are that's nearly 100% of you, Read, watch, listen, and share what groups like GLAD, Human Rights Campaign, Truth Wins Out, and others are saying. Don't let those in your circles and networks brush aside the human rights violations that will continue to happen if the international community turns away. Just because it's happening beyond our borders does not make it unworthy of our attention. As the games get closer, there will most certainly be more detailed and specific calls to action. For now, the LGBT community in Russia needs to hear and feel the earnest support from around the world. Links for today's campaign will be in the show notes and all the usual places. Visit the Best of the Left Facebook page for updates on this and other activism opportunities. Also, remember that we encourage you to use your phone or other mobile device to record audio of your experience at any political event you attend to send in to be used on the show. You
6: probably didn't fuck it up. But they, whoever they are, they fucked
8: it up. Now it's fucked up.
6: Do help unfuck it up, and then say, "Are you really so fucking busy? You can't take one fucking man's help unfuck it up." Cause I am willing to pick one thing to help unfuck it up. Won't you join me?
9: Pope Francis—he's a new kind side. of pope. Pope's in the air, man. Uh, a lot of people are feeling hopeful because of his comments uh, about uh, gay human beings. Turns out, yeah, maybe I can live with them. Huh? Interesting. Uh, when he was asked about it, he said, "Who am I to judge a gay person of goodwill who seeks the Lord?" Well, you're the Pope. <laughs> if anybody's going to judge him, it's usually the Pope. In fact, the previous Pope said that anyone who he deemed had a deep-seated homosexuality—I don't know what that's a reference to—would uh, be barred from the Vatican. So, yeah, if anybody's going to judge, it would normally be the Pope. But he's not judging. So great, and he says. You can't marginalize these people. Now look, there's a little bit of uh conflicting interest here too because there's been very credible reporting in the Italian press about gay trysts that a lot of members of the Vatican were involved in. So, he's got to make sure that if those people are literally outed that he could then turn around and go say, "Hey, look, man, I I told you I'm not one to judge. So, I'm going to go ahead and keep 40% of the Vatican that <laughs> turns out were involved in gay trysts." forty percent is a number i made up seems like a reasonable estimate given what we found out in the past about the catholic church anyway so but hey, i'll take it i'll take it he seems like a much more open guy he cares about the poor he says the young should protest he, he's concerned about wealth inequality terrific in fact an expert on him father james martin S. S. J. says one of francis hallmarks is an emphasis on mercy which you see in that response that mercy of course comes from jesus and we can never have too much of it. Well, that's true. So it's a move in the positive direction uh, and always welcome uh, when we're looking at the Vatican. Now, you have to keep in mind, of course, that there are a lot of people who disagree with this. And as uh, one tweeter pointed out to me earlier today, I could just see the Catholic League now complaining about what the Pope said. Ah, can you believe this liberal Pope saying we shouldn't hate the gays? <laughs> that would be awesome and it's not outside of the realm of possibility now one of the things of course that people who are against homosexuality and and giving it any mercy whatsoever are the people who usually quote corinthians first corinthians six nine ten but let's read the whole quote now we've talked about leviticus many times in the show it says you know you shall not lie with a man as you do with a woman but it also says you shouldn't touch pigskin, wear clothing of two different cloths eat shellfish we've been through all that but corinthians Quote, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Because only four people will be in the kingdom of God. Oh, that was not in there, but it's pretty clear from what is in there. Isn't it amazing with that enormous laundry list? That the one that they focus on is homosexuality? Yes, homosexuality is in there. So is the greedy. Well, there goes the entire Republican Party. The swindlers, there goes all the banks. They've literally been paying billions of dollars in fines for swindling people. And why is there never all this talk in the right-wing media about all oh, those swindlers are going to hell? And we should exclude them from the Boy Scouts and just about everything else, certainly the Vatican and everything else you can imagine. People who are covetous people who are drunkards i mean coveting. are you kidding me there goes ninety nine percent of the country why do we never talk about them or the adulterers and the reality is because that's all of us instead what other people have to do is find one outsider and blame all their problems on them now the fact that pope francis is beginning to get away from that phenomenon is terrific. And understand that this doesn't apply to all religious people, the, the right wing demagoguery that we see here in the United States. For example, one of the most famous reverends in the world is Desmond Tutu. And here's what he said recently He said, I would not worship a God who is homophobic. And that is how deeply I feel about this. I would refuse to go to a homophobic heaven. No, I would say sorry. I mean, I would much rather go to the other place. Isn't that amazing? And some of the greatest and most moral leaders in the history of the world have been Christians like martin Luther King jr so there is hope slash Pope out there all right enough on that, but there really is hope uh, out there for people who are more progressive and by the way, in America, even among evangelicals there's a movement uh, and that is very large where uh, evangelicals and, and Uh, Christians and fundamentalist Christians are becoming more and more progressive. Uh, So don't judge the rest of Christianity based on our right-wing idiots, who I'm telling you could any day come out and condemn the Pope because he doesn't understand Christianity. Wait for it.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make the show possible, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment, question, or to relate your first-hand experience from a political event you attended to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. So I will explain all of this in just a moment, but I will cut to the chase first and say that there is not going to be an episode coming up in three days as there normally would be, uh, according to the schedule. And, and the timing of this is completely coincidental. If you remember just the previous episode, I talked about how it was a, a pre-produced episode because I was on a trip. I was visiting family uh, due to a, a death in the family. And now I'm actually about to go on another trip for medical reasons. And you know, I thought I would be able to pre-produce a show uh, you know, for during that trip. And I just, the turnaround time between these two uh, turned out to be a little tight. And so that's not an option. So, Apologies for, for the forthcoming show that will not exist. It's, it'll just get pushed back uh, three more days until I'm back from the trip. But I, I think that I will be forgiven when, when all is explained. So, uh, you know, I said, I said it's a medical trip. That's true. First of all, it's not me. So I'm thankful for the fact that I'm not the one with the medical issue. However, it is my girlfriend, Amanda, who has the medical issue, which I am not particularly thankful for. Don't worry, she's not dying, she's not horribly diseased or anything like that. Uh, however, there are these things called desmoid tumors, and she has a, a couple of them in her leg. So desmoids are, to call them interesting would be a nice way to put it. There's there's literally debate as to whether or not desmoids are cancerous. Uh, really, you know, legitimate arguments can be made on either side. Technically, they are benign. However, they are locally aggressive. So they grow where they are. They destroy the tissue around them. They cause a lot of pain. And if you try to cut them out, they grow back. So that's that's pretty awesome. So, I, I mean, I know you were already thinking it. Why did you get that thing cut out? Well, Amanda had that uh, surgery done a few years ago, and it's now grown back, uh, except she only had one before, and now she has three. So, you know, it's really uh, awesome Disease to have now, so you can 't cut them out she 's also gone through chemotherapy, a couple different methods, and a handful of other drugs and really, nothing has made a dent in it, it just hasn 't hasn 't really had an effect so a disease like this it's you know there's a couple sides to the coin you know on one hand they 're really rare, about one in five people out of a million have desmoid tumors. Uh, which means that there are very few ways to get it. Think about something like breast cancer. Lots of people have breast cancer because there are lots of ways to get it, and so it's really hard to cure. Something like a desmoid, not very many people have it because there aren't very many ways to get it, which means if you can figure out what's going on and you can mount a counterattack, you might actually be able to cure the disease. And so we're hoping that that's the case. However... The rareness of the disease means that it is not particularly, you know, profitable, or or maybe just a good use of resources, even just for government grants and whatnot. Uh, very few people are affected by it, and so there's there are no resources available to you know, run tests and do research and those sorts of things. So there's really one organization in existence trying to cure desmoid tumors. It's called the Desmoid Tumor Research Foundation. You probably could have named it yourself. They're at DTRF.org if you're curious. And so within the last year or so, a, a doctor funded by DTRF Came across, you know, he was testing hundreds of, of drugs that are already on the market. Because you know, developing a brand new drug is expensive. Repurposing an existing drug, not so expensive. So he was testing all these existing drugs, trying to see if any of them had an effect on desmoid tumors. And he found one. It's a it's a painkiller, sort of related to Benadryl. It's been on the market for 15 years, lots of safety data available for it. And it turned out it had an effect on desmoid tumors. Who knew? And so he's trying to get, uh, you know, a, a trial set up, and he's, you know, running into a lot of red tape, as as you do. And in the meantime, what we've decided to do is go to Europe, where this drug is available. Uh, it's not available in the U.S. or Canada, but it's available in Europe and the Middle East and Asia, and... So by the time this episode is available for you to download and eventually listen to, I will already be on a plane headed to, to London with Amanda to see a doctor who already, you know, deals with, you know, cancer as his specialty. He deals with uh, patients with desmoid tumors already and he's open to experimenting with this you know with an off-label use of this existing drug. So that's where we're headed and you know that that's that's about what's going on. So you know, as I said, <laughs> how this relates to you is that you'll be missing an episode coming up in three days. Uh, how it relates to me is, you know, pursuing the you know the hope of a drug that may have an impact on the uh, you know the tumor that's threatening, if not the life, at least the limb of my lovely and talented and uh, wonderful in every way girlfriend Amanda. As I said, if you'd like to learn more, you can go to dtrf.org. And if you are so inspired that you want to, you know, actually help, there, there's a big fundraiser that happens for DTRF once a year. You know, to you know, one of those 5K run sort of deals. And it just so happens it's happening about a month from now. And uh so if you would like you could donate to that uh simply go to runningforanswers.com and you get all the details on you know you just donate to the cause it doesn't really matter if you you know do it in in honor of anyone or anything like that it's really just getting money to the organization so that they can cure the disease is really the way to do it um that that's what really matters if you want to go above and beyond, you want to actually donate to Amanda's fundraising page, that'll be in the show notes for, you know, on your device or on the website, the, the blog post for this episode. On that page, you'll be able to get her you know, personal story of how she came to have the tumor and, and all the work that's gone into fundraising for DTRF and working to find a cure and so on. So any help you feel like throwing our way through that donation page uh, would, of course, be very much appreciated, but I think would also be a very impactful use of your money. As I said, it's a rare disease. If if you, you can you know figure out what's going on, as this research foundation is trying to do, you, you really have the chance to actually cure the disease, and that's what we're all hoping for. So that's going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to all those who support the show by becoming members and making one-time donations. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day, except for when I'm off in Europe trying to cure a disease. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com.
7: And it's a crying shame How we get so trained